This is episode 14, Leading During the Era of Uncertainty, with intelligence and security expert Stephen Kotman. You're listening to The Business of Intelligence, a podcast that explores how intelligence serves decision makers beyond the traditional national security audience. Tune in as we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners working at the intersection of business and risk in order to analyze and discuss the field of private sector intelligence. We'll talk about what's working, what isn't, and how intelligence is helping organizations navigate today's global operating environment. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Business of Intelligence podcast. We're back with a new episode, and this one is extra special because our guest is not only a good friend of mine, but also someone I've worked with before, so I got to see his leadership abilities up close and personal. Mike has also gotten to know him over the past couple of years, and we both agreed from the start that we just had to have him on. So who am I referring to? Well, if you haven't had a chance to meet Stephen Kotman, let me introduce Stephen right now. Stephen Kotman is a seasoned veteran of the worlds of security and intelligence with over 19 years of service spread across the public and private sectors. His background includes serving as a former Green Beret and working in the intelligence community at the Central Intelligence Agency. He's also worked across multiple technology organizations in the private sector, gaining valuable insights into the intersection of leadership, intelligence, and security. Recently, Stephen left his role at a major tech company to launch a software-as-a-service-driven protective intelligence company, where he brings his wealth of knowledge and expertise to help companies protect their assets and information. In addition to his professional work, Stephen has a passion for coaching youth basketball, where he uses his leadership skills to help young athletes develop their skills both on and off the court. We're incredibly excited to have him on the show to share his diverse insights and experiences. So please listen in as we delve into the topic of leadership and leading during the era of uncertainty with the one and only Stephen Kotman. Listen, I think this has been a long time coming. So Steve, welcome to the Business of Intelligence podcast. We're so grateful to have you on. We already did the intro. I mean, everyone's heard everything about you. So thank you for making the time. I think We've been wanting to do this for a long time, obviously. So really appreciate you being on. Awesome, Ryan. So number one, I want to say thank you. You know, I've been a fan on the sideline. I remember when you guys created this, I was like really looking forward to this moment. So number one, I want to say I really appreciate what you guys are doing for the industry. And I can't wait to get this started. One of the things that that I get hit up a lot on LinkedIn and emails, like people reaching out is... What does a transition look like and how does leadership from the public sector or the military transfer over? And uh, you know, I think a lot of people have different views or different experiences, but we're all fellow veterans and we've all made the, the transition ourselves at some point. So, I, yeah, Steve, I guess the big question is like, what's your advice for people out there who, who are it's time, whether... Um, they're just, you know, inspired to get in the private sector or it's retirement time. Like what are, what's like your top three that people should be aware of? I appreciate that. And I, I like to start everything with kind of a story to tie into to this. And so my personal story is, you know, when I decided to transition out, I was actually very fortunate. As Ryan mentioned earlier, we worked together and I can tell you, looking back on it, I was not prepared but I really lucked out in the fact that I had another veteran um, that was experienced that knew my resume and background enough to call me in for an interview. Looking back at my resume, I'm like, why did he call me in for an interview? 
So it's just <laughs> like one of those things where where I was I was very fortunate. And now if I could say as a leader and, and give advice from this, the number one thing I would say is whenever you're getting ready to transition, I think it's really important to find someone that is a leader inside that industry. We have a lot of veterans that are out in leadership positions in the private sector and technology and large organizations. Find that person and talk to them. Get to know them a little better so you can understand more more about what that world is. And I think that, you know, number one, will help prepare you as a leader to jump into your role. Two of the other pieces of advice is really, really learn more about business. We're practitioners. We know what we're doing when it comes to intelligence, protection, operations. But really what drives your influence and leadership inside of the private sector is, is knowing the business, right? Knowing your audience. So really learn about business and become a business professional that knows how to practice a certain discipline and just be a sponge. You can have all the leadership in the world. I was fortunate enough to take a reduced role to give me time to, to transition and learn what it's like to be a leader in the private sector and blend that old experience that I had with new experiences I was gaining by number one, watching a lot of mentors and starting just to really, really absorb what was going on around me and piece that together. Without doing that, it would have been, I would say, more of a rough ride. So those are like really high level key factors that I think are, are really important. And, you know, I speak from my perspective and that's that's sort of what helped me transition out. Yeah, those, those are some really great ones. I guess a follow-up question in your experience is how, if at all, are leadership styles different between the military, the government, and private sector? And I guess, you know, you could even break down private sector into segments, but how would you describe your experiences walking through these different roles as a leader? I've pondered this, and you can ask me on Tuesday, and I might have a slightly different twist on this answer, but biggest thing I've noticed is say in the military, and let's go with government, right? I, I was fortunate enough to work some intelligence organizations and in the military, and, and there's very specific missions and goals that you're really trying to accomplish. So when you're in a leadership position, it's easy to drive people towards that, right? And there's not a lot of shifting in that landscape. So what you're going to find is you're going to have a particular leadership style that that really does have a clear priority and can really drive things forward because we know, right, we have that broad mission statement. We know where we're going. We know what we're training for. When you transition to corporate, like it's very fluid. You do have priorities. You have a different version of leaders. You have leaders that I would say suddenly have to be more pliable like clay and kind of remold themselves as the landscape changes, as the environment of the business shifts, as we get through a pandemic, the way it impacts the private sector and the style of leadership has to be a little bit different, right? And so you have to apply a lot of what I would say different versions and styles based off of your audience. And so it's, it's been very interesting because that I can tell you during my journey of being in leadership positions, I've, I've continually had to evolve and you get a moderately different version of me based off of what we have to get through. But the one thing I like to provide is consistency. So yeah, so that, that's been kind of the experience. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think you have to be, sometimes the word authentic is overused, but I think it's, it's true in this situation where, you know, if you're fair, also saying, I always just say it was firm, fair. Some people put final at the end of that, but you can bring different tools from the different experiences and, and figure out which ones to apply in different scenarios. So I think that's key. How about you, Ryan? You got anything to add to that? Yeah, let me just point out a few things. And Steve, I mean, you touched on a lot and this episode is around leadership in an era, era of uncertainty. So 
you know, we've certainly got a number of questions laid out, but I actually just want to go back a minute because you said something really interesting that I don't think a lot of people consider. You talked about when you entered the private sector that you're going to take a reduced role. And I know a lot of veterans, when they enter the private sector, they come in underselected, meaning they really take jobs that they're overqualified for. What was your mindset around that? Why did you make a conscious decision that you're going to come in and take a reduced role? Like, what were you thinking? Because, I mean, that sort of demonstrates a level of humility that we don't always have. And so I just wanted to understand like what you were thinking then. I've always been a fan of, of just being a lifelong learner, right? And then putting myself in positions where I'm able to absorb and learn from those before us. So whenever I did make the, the leap, you know, my thought process was, yeah, I could go for a higher level position and role, but how prepared would I be if I didn't exhibit a little bit of patience, right? And just come in and tempo it, right? We call it pace. We're running a marathon. What I say also, Ryan, is like coming out of the, the mill or the government, you do have a lot of experience. So you should also use that as confidence to say, hey, I can jump when I want to. And so for me, it was just like, hey, I, can, I get an opportunity to learn. We prepared to exit. So I prepared my family. And I was like, let's just let's just dig in and really learn about the industry. And I also am a huge believer in before leading, being a practitioner and understanding the business and the job before I start directing and guiding um, folks in those positions. I appreciate that. I just want to commend you too on that that outlook. I think if anyone's listening right now that is thinking about the transition, please take that advice on board. I think you could do yourself a, a huge favor if you take that approach. And so I just want to commend you on that. And obviously you bet on yourself. And then, you know, when you think about how far you've gone and what you've achieved, you know, obviously the return on investments, it's come back. So kudos to you. Listen, we're talking about leadership in so many different ways already. It's such a broad topic. It's covered everywhere. I mean, we could go in any number of directions with this conversation, but in terms of our community, our colleagues, why is it so important that we're talking about leadership right now? Why should we talk about this right now? I like that question, Ryan, because, you know, if you think back, but three years ago, whenever the whole world shifted and changed, right? And we were all presented with a leadership challenge per se. My thoughts are, I like to lead with stories or kind of draw us back a little bit. So in the past, like as a leader before the pandemic, we were really setting our foundation with our leadership skills, talents, how we were building our teams, because we were preparing for a crisis, right? You're preparing to lead through a crisis. You lead in the good times and then you really lead during the bad times. And so I think it's important for us to talk about this now because it gives us a chance to number one, reflect and grow based off of what we built prior to the pandemic. And it also gives us an opportunity to lean forward and connect as leaders to really understand, hey, how has our, our role shifted? How has it changed based off of how companies operate, what our, our teams need? I think all the needs have shifted. And what we need is a leadership element as well. I really believe that while it is a broad topic, I believe that this is a good time to have that conversation. And if you bake this into phases, pre-pandemic, pandemic, and now what's happening, we're kind of rolling out of that, right? You have a lot, another shift. So I think it's important for us 
that our leadership roles that have taken the responsibilities to really guide, lead, and manage employees and business decisions to really lean forward and prepare for that. So I think it's important that we have this conversation right now. You know, speaking of taking a phased approach and rolling out of the pandemic, if you will, although I guess we'll never really be out of it, but what type of leader do you think we need for today's global operating environment? Because today's operating environment looks vastly different than it did three years ago, and it's going to continue to change. So yeah, what type of leader do we need for today's operating environment? There's probably like 20 different versions of leaders. So I'm going to stick to probably three consistent, three themes. And the irony is consistency is the first one, being action-driven and truly being an empathetic leader. To your point, if you look at the current global environment, a lot of organizations and employees are seeing more work-life integration than ever. And what that means is there's a blending of your personal life and your work life just due to how we operate it. And so as leaders, we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that the needs of our teams have shifted. The, the business competitive landscapes changed, and we need to find a way to kind of blend the two and also to do it with less to have 10x impact. So if you unpackage all of that, we do need a special type of leader to kind of push us into the next phase. And so when I talk about consistency, what I mean by that is like when your team comes to you, they know what to expect leadership wise. They know how you're going to react, which we bring clear direction, more trust and better execution. And when I talk about action driven, this is my challenge to everyone in a leadership position is I think we've all been in the rooms where we've heard leaders give speeches and talk about all these things about um, how we're going to do things and care about employees and a lot of like, you know, great, 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 I would say words. But when I say action driven, it means if you say that you care about balance, then let your actions show it, right? As leaders, we have to really start to let our actions demonstrate the things that we said to our employees. So if you say you care about work-life balance, do it, right? And then what that's going to do is going to gain confidence and get your team really behind you when things get rough because we are not successful without those that are around us, right? We do nothing alone. And the last one is being empathetic. It's a hard one, right? Because like this is something that you are or aren't and you could probably tweak it to a degree, but recognizing that would be the first step. If you're an empathetic person, you're like, all right, I got this. If you're not, recognize that and then, but understand that you're going to have a hard time really getting it to know your team and what truly drives them. And when you understand that, it has strengthened the bonds and I kept saying foundation, right? And it lays the foundation for a high-performing team. So when we talk about it's being consistent, being action-driven, and being an empathetic leader is what we need right now. Love it. Yeah, that's some great points. And, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of thinking out loud now, but tying some of that into something that you, you said earlier, Stephen, was you took a role where you could still be hands-on. And I think that's an important thing to take away is that leadership isn't necessarily you're the boss, like, it, you know, you can be a leader and still drive change and inspire people around you, especially the U.S. mindset. Sometimes I think everything's training and certification. So we have all these leadership courses, but that's good to understand the principles. But you can really learn to lead. And like you said, use empathy, use all the tools that you described. And I think that's more important than being a book learned leader, like you have to be able to apply it in real world scenarios. And just to give a, a quick example, here in the U.S. Embassy community and the diplomatic role I'm, I'm at, there's a lot of deals or, or programs that we're trying to finalize or close. I'm not responsible for anyone, so I can't order things to get done, whether it's on the international side or the, the government side. But 
I still have to kind of lead to keep everyone moving in the right direction to accomplish our goals. Mike, that was a great ad and something you said really, really like triggered a thought. And it was about leadership courses. And I think as leaders, if we take a step back, we just got the best three years of leadership courses that we could get on our OJT. And so when you talk about that, if we are really looking back and reflecting on how we evolved from the beginning, middle, and towards this next phase, I mean, that is the best course you could ever get. So if we're still standing here today, I think we're all better for it. But if you haven't taken a step back and reflected, you should use that to develop and grow yourself for the future. But we just got the best course in leadership from the last three years that I think you could get. No PowerPoints, no Zooms. Life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think about that quite a bit and how my my leadership style has personally changed, especially when it comes to being even more empathetic, you know, than before. And OJT, everyone on the job training, just to give you a little explanation of that acronym in case you didn't catch it. Let me jump in and ask a follow-up question because one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about leadership in, in uncertain times is because you know, just look around us. I mean, so many of our friends and colleagues are losing their jobs. They're being laid off. It seems as if the tech sector has taken on a large portion of that or has sort of bore the brunt of that. As someone who has never worked in tech, I was really interested to get your perspectives, especially with your background, Steve. I mean, public sector, then private sector. In private sector, you worked for one of the biggest brands in the world that was non-tech. Then you move into tech. So when you did move into tech, was there anything that surprised you in terms of leadership styles or what was required of you as a leader? By nature, I'm curious. So if, as you know, Ryan, and like, I like to learn, right? And I was really curious about the industry and wanted to, to get an inside peek, right? I just couldn't help myself because I heard a lot about tech. So let me check it out. This is not a negative statement once I finish. But what surprised me the most was like how messy the leadership is, and not in a bad way. And what I mean is everything moves very, very fast. And while there's success, there's a ton of, of shifting mistakes, rapid learning within business units that really evolves into what I would say, what the foundation is for more established companies. So in reality, it was just like, you're in a leadership role, but you're really just a heavy practitioner even more so than you would you ever imagine, right? In, in a larger organization, you're, you're almost like an IC, but you have a team, uh, individual contributors, I see. That was the biggest surprise. And you also have a lot of folks that are really like learning, right? At the industry themselves and standing up business units. So so when you come in as a, as a, as a mature leader, or if you're a new leader, depending on your bucket, as a mature leader, you're really kind of there to steer the ship and provide a, a semblance of, of leadership that really folks can't bring until they, they really establish themselves over time. So it was just just really crazy, messy, wild. You know, you're kind of, it'd take you 15 years back in your life. But at the end of the day, like you can kind of see why it's that way. And it's also, I would say, inspiring from the standpoint of number one, if you're making a leap, but number two, if you're making a leap and starting a business, it gives you a high degree of confidence when you see kind of how things are run from a newly IPO'd organization or like an eight to seven year tech organization. You can see those transitions. That's a great segue to one of the questions we had written down. I'm just curious 
I think one of the cool things about all of us is we're pretty humble. We have self-deprecating humor. So not everyone will probably answer this as honestly as other people, but I think you will, Steve. Like, What's some of the biggest mistakes you've made as a leader and what have you learned from them and how do you apply it going forward? We could probably pop another two hours onto this podcast from that question because <laughs> I could just think every time I change positions and roles, I, I reflect back and I remember circumstances and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I handled you know that management scenario like this or that key meeting in this manner. What I would say is the biggest mistake I've made was just kind of getting caught up in what someone else would define as leadership when it comes to a corporate setting. What I mean by that is, you know, we talked about blending before, particularly when you transition out of the service or government and learning business. That also applies to, to leadership. Sometimes I think when you make the leap, you don't have the same confidence that you had before and you get kind of caught into like, hey, this is how things are done. And you kind of run within what that does is it's not you. That was my biggest like kind of mistake was just like really taking a step back and just being like, okay, just lead, you know, the way I, I know how to lead. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'll find a place that fits. And that's a little scary in one aspect, but I think you'll be able to sleep better at night. And I think you'll be much more effective when you start applying that. So that's sort of my lessons learned because, and believe it or not, I probably made this mistake multiple times yearly, right? Because you get caught up in a lot of things that, that are is fast moving and you want to do what's right. But what I what I can tell you is what your your instincts are, those are right and you'll be fine. You know, and that's that's what I've had to learn just kind of making my mistakes. But again, like I said, if you guys want to have me back on to talk about leadership mistakes, I got three hours for you. And <laughs> <laughs> quick quick follow on to that, because I think you made a very important comment there, how you can be at a very high level in one environment or one company or, or industry, and then when you switch over you know, in the back of your mind, there could be a bit of self-doubt. So what's some ways that you've calibrated yourself to get over that? And how do you approach it when you're entering new situations now? The best way to, to describe that is earlier I talked about being a sponge. You just kind of have to be put in the right rooms and just learn, right? I got to learn a lot in my first job when Ryan and I worked together, just by sitting back and learning to how to handle certain circumstances. And there's no direct application. And you can take those moments and apply them. I'll give you guys a really quick example. When there's meetings, I don't like um, interrupting people and I don't like to be interrupted. But what happens is for me, I would get steamrolled in meetings because that's just kind of culturally what happens. Because I wasn't making an adjustment, it was impacting my team. And I was in a meeting with a couple of peers and someone interrupted a peer of mine uh, that was pretty high up. And she goes, excuse me, I was talking let me finish. And then you can make your point. And it was kind of like, I was sitting back and I was like, you could do that. And from that point on, it was like, I, I've learned to really apply some of those methods in ways that helps. Number one, you lead in a moment when everybody's chaotic. But number two, it also helps protect your team and drive initiatives. So, so to answer your question, it's just like, it's just kind of a combination of all that. I just sit back and I learn. And I remember drawing lessons from my first job whenever I jumped over to tech that really helped me successful as a director in another company, because if I didn't have that exposure and experience from there, I know that I would have like, I would have screwed it up to be quite frank. So, so that's what <laughs> earlier, Steve, you talked about what it means or what's needed to be a leader today. And 
And you mentioned, I think, being action-oriented, being very consistent, and being an empathetic leader. So maybe this question's irrelevant at this point, but do you see any top leadership lessons that would be specific for people working in corporate risk, intelligence, security? Are they the same top three, or do you have anything different that you would share? Yeah, I do actually. They're sort of the same, but I think whenever I when I mention them, you'll you'll get where this is going. We hit on it a minute ago about mistakes, biggest mistakes, and it was be your authentic self. Of course, within the guidelines of the employee handbook, <laughs> just you know, at the end of the day, just be you, right? Uh, the second one was is have fun. Like we have a fun and inspiring job in the industry, and I think we often take ourselves too seriously, and that water falls out. Just remember, smile, have fun. You know, and then the last one is you don't have anything to prove. The corporate intelligence sector has been growing for the last 10 years, and you guys are early pioneers of that. Just remembering that whenever we have these roles, it's established. You don't have anything to prove. You know what you're doing. Just go out there, do it, make mistakes, learn, iterate, grow. Those would be my three things. Be your authentic self, have fun, and you don't have anything to prove. Just do you. I like that. I mean, that gives me a little bit of peace of mind. I feel like I always have something to prove, which means I work relentlessly, which means I get burned out easily. So I think I'm going to have to take that advice. But Mike, any follow-ups to that, to what Steve just said? Those are all three great points. I think we're all a bit guilty, everybody, but including this crowd, I think we're all a little bit sometimes you know, we're always trying to overachieve. There's a little bit of self-doubt and you have to like pace yourself. Otherwise you burn out, as you just pointed. Being your authentic self, I think that's critical because you can pretend to be somebody for so long, but A, that, that just burns a lot of energy. There was an old saying I saw once where basically it's not them, it, it's you. Like if you're surrounded in a culture where you're kind of the odd one out, then maybe if it's not authentic for you to adapt to that culture, then it's really important for your productivity and your mental health to find an environment where you do belong, like-minded people. And, you know, not saying that any particular environment's bad, it just might not be where you belong. And I think you really have to have some self-inflection and look at that. You brought up two good points and about the it's you piece. And I would say like the last couple of years has been really eye-opening for me in that respect. And it's funny because I'll, I'll like say something uh, in the respect of like, Hey, I'm not very happy with this and that. And I go, by the way, I, it's not anybody else. It's me. I was like, so this has nothing to do with anyone else but me. And so like, it's a you thing when it comes to that. And that's the biggest thing that we have to recognize. And what that also does is it's very empowering for you to understand yourself more and to put yourself in a position to be successful. The other one is to your point, I believe you talked about leadership decisions and one of the one of my most favorite moments. So I, I went through Army Forces, Army Special Forces selection years ago. And one of my favorite moments was an event called Team Week. But prior, leading up to that, they just wore you out. Just wore you out, right? So you get to the point and they, they stick you in a leadership position. And to your point of being authentic, in those moments, you were so tired that your real self comes out when you're put in the leadership position. And it was fascinating to kind of watch, you know, the, the, yeah, like I said, I'm an observer, to kind of watch the different personalities just bubble up and explode. And then also watch the ones that were calm, chill, and inconsistent. So to your point, it's a tried and true method. They use it in Army Special Forces, they use it in other places. You could tell that you can you can only bottle up that uh, that version of what we call the world, my 
monkey or Stevel for so long. And then, <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite so nickname of all time. Comes out. Yeah. Okay. Listen, guys, for everyone listening, you, Steve, explain to us what is Stevel or who is Stevel? All right. <laughs> <Or> Stevel. <laughs> Stevel is, is, is my, I would say my authentic self. So like, it's funny because, you know, you keep him kind of bottled up in a cage occasionally just to stay correct in corporate situations and certain circumstances. But occasionally Stevel does come out and I think everybody recognizes what he does. And it's hilarious because, you know, my old team gave me that nickname a while ago. So, so yeah, it's, it's funny. We all know what that is. And to your point, uh, Ryan, I had someone tell me once that I like to be so far outside the box that if I see anything that looks like a box, I start railing against it and start to to act out. So it's pretty funny. That's probably my favorite meme of all time, the cat in the box and his uh, perspective (laughs) on it. Hey, quick question along these these same lines. What's your take on the saying, what got you here won't get you there? I'm a firm believer in that. Just from the standpoint... I like to draw back on some of the points you made earlier. And Michael, I think you mentioned this, which you noticed I oscillate between Mike and Michael, by the way. What happened is uh, the... That's fun guy That's fun guy and serious guy right there, Mike and Michael. <laughs> it depends on the questions you ask. What got us to our position provided us what I would call a set of tools. What's going to get us to the next place is how we specifically apply those tools in the circumstances needed to continue to grow and learn. So it doesn't matter like of all of these like th- things from a decade or 15 years of, of career. What that did do is it built you into a person that is equipped with the right tools to grow and learn. So it's our goal to to really just understand that. And, you know, we can talk about the good old days later, you know, OSAC or whatever we want to do. But my whole point about this is, is that I've heard that and it used to really kind of piss me off, to be quite frank. I don't know if you have to, sorry, Ryan, hold on a minute. I, I don't know if you have to edit that out. But once I dug into whenever people were saying that, it really makes sense, right? But no one's trying to undermine your experience or, or what you bring to the table. What they're trying to do is help mentor you and let you know that there's a path for you. You're here for a reason, but you can't keep pulling back from your past in order to move forward. But you can use that experience to really catapult yourself. And that's the difference maker that you're going to have in your career later on. Yeah, that's great insight. I really love that. And it just reminds me of one more area to explore really quickly before we head into some of our normal sort of status quo questions. And then, of course, the rapid fire round. So I want to share a quick anecdote with you and, and then just see what your thoughts are. And this this anecdote is about a, a sort of discussion that I had with a mutual friend of ours. And so ironically, his name is Mike as well. Not our Mike here. But so, Mike, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. But the topic of the conversation was around burnout, which we could probably talk about at length here. And it was really about the fact that both he and I are leaders who tend to suffer in silence. And so we tend to hold everything in. We don't bring it up. And sometimes we feel as if we're on an island because I think when you're in a leadership position, you can feel a little bit alone as if you've got no one to talk to or there's no one else that's going through the same thing as you. And so just sort of talk through that. And it was so funny because we both sort of said to each other, you know, this is ridiculous. We're not alone. Here we are having this conversation, giving each other advice. And there's so many people in our industry, especially it's such a close knit community that you really never have to be alone or feel, you know, like you're on an Island by yourself. So what would the lesson be 
to anyone who's listening right now that might feel that same way. If they're suffering in silence that they feel like, you know, they have to do it all by themselves. What would the lesson be to someone? I love that topic because it's definitely uh, near and dear. May I uh, give a quick story and then I'll kind of tell you the lesson. I did this thing, right? It's high threat protective operations in Iraq. And I had this team of mobile, you know, special operators that I oversaw. And then I had what I call the administrative side of the organization I was working with. During that time, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. And what that means is I have to tell the administrative side things that they can't do. And then I have to tell my teams things that they don't want to do. And one day I was in a pretty heated discussion about something that was requested of us. And one of my team members happened to be in that room. I kind of turned, it was funny, he was standing next to me, it got heated, I turned to Robbie and he disappeared. And I was like, where'd this dude go? But anyways, long long story short is I I walked by the team room later on and he had the entire team in there. And he goes, yo, do you know what, what Steve is doing for us in the other space? So when you're giving him heat, you got to understand that like he's in there advocating for us and we need to really provide better support. And in the other part of it is like when I go in the room and I told them to do something, they go, they go, you know, as soon as you leave the room, we're going to make fun of you. Right. I go, I know I don't have any friends here. You know, we all started laughing. So, so it's like, to your point, like being in a leadership role and being in that lonely at the top is you're always stuck kind of right in the middle. And what I would say is, is recognize that it's real speak up. We have a group of leaders that get together. There's a group of folks that are following the podcast. You have other folks that are like really out there that you can speak up to and talk to. And other ones, talk to your team. And believe it or not, a little bit of vulnerability goes a long way and help them try to understand where you're at. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I think it's important for them to know where your mind state is at. And also, this is the hard one. Don't think take things personally or seriously as much. Life is much bigger than even some of the things we're doing. We still make an impact, but don't let it define you. When you kind of start to get into those spaces and you can follow a little bit of that guidance, it will help you sort of break out of that mold. But I can certainly connect and and that resonates a lot with what you mentioned, Ryan. I think that advice really ties back to how leadership has changed since the pandemic, especially the piece about vulnerability. I mean, as a self-professed perfectionist, that's, I think, one of the biggest lessons learned or key takeaways for me has been that. And you're right. I mean, people respond. People respond to that. And so I appreciate the advice on that. So Mike, go ahead. I think you have a follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of wanted to give a shout out. I'm just thinking of great leaders I had, like our senior defense official here, Casey, I consider him a friend and and one of the top five or 10 leaders I've had to work for. But I'm also thinking something that Steve made me think of, my friend Nadine, we were at US European Command. She came in and, and took over. And in the beginning, we definitely had some friction points. One thing that I learned from her, which I try to apply now, is one time she said, hey, you know, can we have a quick meeting? We got coffee. She was like, you know, sometimes I don't understand your thought process, but in a nice way. And what we really realized was she was more of a linear thinker where I think you both know sometimes I have like thoughts that pop around. And she really said, OK, so now I understand your your thought process. And after that, it was just, you know, we really synced better. And so I thought it was really good to I try to apply that now. So sometimes if I feel like I'm having friction with someone I have to work with, then I really just try to understand, okay, you know, what do they have going on in their lives? Or 
you know, what's their communication style? Do they, you know, should I be sending them emails or should I go into their office and talk to them face to face? Or should I send an email and then follow up in person so they have time to digest the information? Because, you know, some people make decisions on the spot and then some people want to process. So it's just, uh, I think that's a key point of leadership and working with other people in general. I love that, Mike, because I think some of the best advice I've been given by a leader that I really admire is this phrase, meet people where they are. And so in order to meet people where they are, you have to understand where they're coming from, understand what's going on in their lives, get to know them a little bit better, which has obviously been hard during the pandemic and this virtual environment. It might be getting a little bit easier now. So that's a great story. And I think that's great advice as well. So listen, guys, we have talked a lot about leadership, a lot of great advice, a lot of lessons learned, Steve. So great stuff. We're about ready to transition into some of our standard questions. So challenging the status quo and then the rapid fire round. Any alibis or anything else on the leadership topic? I guess one alibi I'll throw out. We were talking about this earlier, but just a friend I've made here in Slovakia. His name's Alexander. I just want to give him a shout out. But, you know, I think it's important to, as a leader, I think, you you know, it's important who you surround yourself with. So, for example, the three of us are like-minded individuals. You know, I also have my friends that I grew up with who've known me since I was four or five years old, and they kind of keep me grounded in some ways. And, you know, so I, it keeps me remembering my roots. But then along the way, just surrounding yourself by people that inspire you and make you a better person. So I think that's really important. I like that, Mike. That's a, a fantastic point. And then I think the three of us, and I think there's other people out there that this will resonate with is all of us are what I would call very good planners and idealists. And we take what we call leaps, right? So you'll, you'll think of something, an idea, but you want to push and then you communicate it to your team. So you might communicate step like four and five, and we didn't communicate step one, two and three, and then six, seven, eight, nine. And so it's hard, some like linear Communication is very important. And I've learned that over time because I caused a lot of confusion with teams that, you know, I'd be like, hey, we're going to do this. And they're like, where is this coming from? And, then, you know, we backtrack and build it out. And so what I would say, that's a good point of what it boils down to is communi effective communication. So I like that. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there as well. I've been there as well. Well, great, great stuff, guys. In terms of moving forward, Steve, we always ask these challenging the status quo questions. So we'll hit you with a couple of those and then Mike will take you through the rapid fire round and hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun to, to sort of end this. But in terms of challenging the status quo, the first question is, as Intel practitioners and risk leaders, what's something that we're not thinking about right now that we should be thinking about from a leadership perspective? Like I said, Mike, you said the cat inside the box. We're going to take them outside of the box for a minute. <laughs> the private sector intelligence has been growing, what I would say, rapidly over the last 10 years and probably even prior to that. Yeah. But I firmly believe we're in a new phase of this. When we talk about challenging the status quo, what I want to say is like, if you've been a leader of a program or have been, a, been for a while, we need to step into the next level positions of influence and leadership. And what I mean by that is out of the Intel into roles into the business so we can pull this industry up. And so we've tried to do it from the inside and in our roles, but I think it's time as leaders that we practice what we preach and become business 
business professionals enough that we can translate our skills and influence into the organization and climb into positions of the organizations that we're leading and ingrain the intelligence business line into the DNA of the business. That's where I think is what I believe is the next phase, because I think we've banged on the door long enough, right? And I think it's time for us to really just go ahead and get into those positions on the other side of the door and open it up for this discipline. See, look what you went and did. I mean, you gave that great nuanced answer. Now I feel like we need to talk about 30 more minutes just about that. But you talk about banging on the door. I mean, there's so many positives going on with the field right now, despite the economy and despite what's going on with the job losses. Overall, I mean, we're seeing companies hire and open up these positions in these teams. I think that's one healthy indicator. But there are days where I think we all probably feel like we're trying to push a boulder uphill over and over again, and it just keeps falling back down. So I think that's great advice. I think that's great advice and something that we need to think about. So the follow-on question to that, and maybe it's sort of a related answer, but what's something you think we're currently doing as a field, but it's just not working? What do we need to change? Just taking an optic over the last like five years or so, just watching the industry and, and being in the different roles. I believe like that what we're currently doing as risk management professionals is we're a big, wide, and deep bucket right? Where the company can dump requests into and, and RFIs, requests for information and all these different things, right? We meet that challenge. But on the flip side of that, it's stretching us thin, right? It's, we're not able to keep pace and we're, what do we call it? A, a mile wide and an inch deep, right? And so we get into that a lot while we're still trying to influence strategy, actual business strategy. So now that we've proven right, that this is effective and impactful to the business. I think we really need to figure out, and everybody probably hates this word, what our priorities are, right? And really, it's going to be independent, you know, in each business. And just really understand that and then hold the line on that and really create your true value and be the best in class in that and then expand, right? Every new company, right, they start with a, a niche, right, position, and then they establish themselves and then they're like, we actually just did this because we really want to do this. And so we really need to figure out a way to break away from our niche that we started in. Like if we were at that bucket, throw some things out of it and like only maintain the things that we really want to do that we know is going to really drive business strategy in the future and just find out, find a way to do that. Easier said than done. And like what I, what I want to say is I'd love to have unpack this in a, in a longer discussion, but that's sort of my high level. Just a follow-up comment for me. I thought you were going to go down the route of specialization, but really you're talking about prioritization, which is incredibly important right now because I know companies are going through transformations, reorganizations, and it comes down to what matters most. And so I think that's a great perspective. I think this mantra of wanting to do it all and just do a little bit of it, it probably stems from a slight inferiority complex that we have in this field, because in some regards, we're, we're sort of guests at the dinner party. We're not always truly embedded like an operations function or a, a legal function or an HR function. And so I think that's where that maybe stems from. But I love that advice. And I think that's more important than ever, considering the times that we're in right now. So I appreciate that. Yeah, actually, I just want to add something on that because I think it's such an important topic. Like you said, I think we might have to have a whole episode on this one. But 
I've been in different environments in the private sector, government and military, where, again, it's almost like ambulance or siren chasing. We get trapped in the 24-hour news cycle. There's a protest somewhere or there's something going on. And suddenly like, wow, we better we better try to figure that out. You know, like someone might ask questions where you end up just chasing your own shadow after a while, where, you know, recently I was in a meeting and somebody had asked our team, like, are you interested in what's happening in the countries around you? And my initial thought was like, yeah, maybe that's good. And the our senior was like, no, we don't we don't care. Not that we it's a harsh thing to say, but we're we're focused here. And we're already getting inundated. And I think it was such a cool thing. And it just made me think, yeah, that's, that's right. So I think you really have to define your priorities and you have to stick to them. And you, you can't be distracted or else, as I think you both said, you, you end up running a mile wide and inch deep. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Mike, let's have some fun. You want to do the rapid fire? I can't wait to hear some of these yeah. answers. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, are we asking Steve or steve Like, which one? <laughs> can answer the Depends. <laughs> let's see the question. <laughs> I guess, like, well, first one, if you had your own intro song for this podcast, what would it be and why? What's your thought process? I would say, again, ask me on a Tuesday, it might change. But for this one, I roll with Hall of Fame by the script featuring Will I Am. It's like a really good uplifting song. It strikes a chord about resilience and leadership, perseverance. So I kind of like that. I dig that for this one. Yeah. Love that. Adding that to the playlist. (laughs) And then I guess along the same lines, as far as like inspirations and such, when you were young, you know, pick a time in your your childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up? So I'm going to drop three on you. And I, I, I remember these specifically because I wrote them like in the third grade and I've always, and it just kind of carried around. So, um, a vet, veterinarian, I did become a vet, but military veteran, a doctor or a cop. Right. And I wanted to get, I wanted to get into law enforcement. And, you know, as you can tell, the themes around those is helping people. So I kind of at least was able to achieve that to a degree. But I didn't quite uh, strike the, the vet and doctor thing. I was I did get the chance to work in law enforcement. But those three uh, industries always like resonated with me because I love the work that they do and the impact they have. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I was going to say you, you're definitely, you know, probably all of us to a certain extent, but you definitely kind of had the sheepdog mindset. You know, you just applied it slightly differently. <laughs> if you had no limitations and had one option, where would you travel next and why? I was fortunate enough to traverse the road with Ryan for quite a bit, a couple of years ago, another life. And it was great. And like, so if I had to choose somewhere, I guess for right now, the place that comes top of mind is just is Cape Town. Cheesy, do you remember that movie with Denzel Washington? And he was like this dude that was selling secrets and they, they took him to Cape Town. And then Ryan Reynolds, like, you know, he had to get him out of there. Yeah. 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 So I I remember seeing that movie, but also I just have always wanted to, I want to travel there and check out that location. Yeah. I know Ryan's been there. I haven't made it yet though. That that is intriguing for me. Yeah. For the record, I think it's probably my favorite place. Nice. So we got to get you there. Definitely got to go. (laughs) I mean, Steve, you've been, you've been an athlete, you've been a soldier, you've been, government person, private sector, different subsets. What's something you always wanted to be good at, but you're currently not? Playing the guitar. That's been something that I probably, if I would apply myself, would have learned a long time ago. I grew up like a huge Dave Matthews fan, fan, love the guitar work, things like that. So I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar. 
and be yeah, good at cool. it. Yeah, I kind of grew up in a, a crowd of guitarists, and I was always the one who couldn't play. So yeah, it's kind of I always have something on my list too. Steve, next question: If you could only choose one source or method to better understand the world, what would it be? It would be on the travel, on, on the ground travel. Travel is my thing. Like meeting people, I've always been fascinated by stories and understanding locations by being there. So I would love to travel and, and really collect a, a pool of knowledge that way. And like, what book, article, or sourcing would you be recommend to someone right now to uh, be reading? I don't know if you guys heard of this book. It's called Who by a Mr. Smart and Randy Street. It's a book on how leaders interview and hire, but also it tackles the institutional issue of, you know, that we have a 50% success rate on hiring managers. We have an even lower success rate on higher level positions. It's a fantastic book. And if you do read it, what I recommend you do is they have the scorecard method is build your own scorecard about what you're supposed to do and see if you are a fit for your position as well. If they hired you for the right role. What's the name of the book again? Cause was, I, I kind of missed it. Who? Who? Yep. Okay. Cool. W-H-O. Pretty good book. Leading on that thought, like knowing what you know now, what piece of career advice would you give yourself if you were just starting out in the industry now? This one's pretty simple. Just be patient and always keep learning. That's it. Just be patient. Always keep learning and growing. That's what makes us who we are, and and I think is you know important. So that's my biggest piece of advice that I would give my old self. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> One more drink. It's <laughs> 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 probably pretty high up there on the list, <laughs> but, <laughs> but really, like what I would say is, I'm very analytical, right? So, like if I get advice, I sort of put it to a test, you know, understanding who's given it, applying my personal experience, my current status and standing. And then I kind of take pieces of it that apply to me. So I don't think I've ever really, outside of my first answer on this. Yeah, that's my one. So if that was supposed to be funny, you could leave it at the beer. <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> uh, last one for this round. Who's someone you admire and why? This one's pretty easy for me. So it's, it's my wife and both of my kiddos. It's like I'm a character in their story, and it's freaking fantastic to watch them navigate life and to be a part of that. And if I if I go external, I would really say people. And this is a wide scoping answer because, as you guys know, I love to. We're so different and we're so complex, and and we do so many amazing things across the board. So. I really just am locked in on, on just the, the human race. And the reason why I said too is like, if I don't really know you or know the someone very well or see an article or podcast or, or like a, a newspaper thing, I, I can't, until I get to know you, it's hard for me to be like, oh, I admire this dude. I love what you're saying. And I, I definitely apply it. But the human race, man, that we're just fascinating, just amazing creatures. Man, I love both of those. And, you know, it's like I, I never really mentioned my wife, Cora, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, uh, you know, I think we're all kind of blessed with uh, strong women that, that keep us keep us straight. All right. Well, good stuff, guys. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Steve, you've talked about leadership in so many different ways, so many lessons learned, a lot of great advice. If we end on just a couple of notes, one would be if you had a call to action, any message that you'd want to send to anyone listening right now, what, what would be that call to action? What I'd say is, first and foremost, let's continue to take care of each other. Take a humble approach to how you lead, right? And remember that our positions have substantial impact on the next generation of business leaders and 
leaders in the community. And so it's our responsibility to lead in a manner that makes us better and makes our teams better and makes the world a safer place. So to summarize, I'd say, let's just take our, our positions and with a sense of pride and execution and push that forward because we can really enact change in the world. Yeah, very well said. And then final question, what are you currently working on? You know, how can people learn more? Where can, you know, people find you if they want to connect with you? As you guys know, know me, uh, like if I was like a creature right now, I'd be an octopus, right? Because I got my arms kind of in a bunch of different things. <laughs> but what I like to say is I, I have a couple of projects going on. Number one, I just took a leap to launch my own protective intelligence business and I'm building a couple of products that will essentially provide like effective force multiplication for teams and keep them safer um, around protective services and protective intelligence. I also have a, I've developed and scoped a marketplace for youth athletes, allowing parents to connect with the right coach or athletic program for their athlete um, with a heavy emphasis on teaching life skills and leadership through athletics. And I'm really making a push to provide access to private coaching and underrepresented and underserved communities. So that's my other, my other octopus arm. And then where you can find me, I'm on LinkedIn. That's the best place to connect. If I can do anything for anyone that's out there, if you guys want to have a cup of coffee virtually or real, you can find me on LinkedIn and then, you know, we can have a conversation and see if our interests align or if I can help out with anything. So that's the best place. And can they learn about the names of those companies on LinkedIn? Yeah, that's a good question. Right. So we have it's called <laughs> we have Denami Athletics and Denami Solutions. Athletics is focused on a marketplace and solutions is a protective intelligence organization. I don't know how this is gonna the other part is I would like to also give you guys a, a fantastic shout out to to Mike and Ryan and all the work you guys have been doing in the community. And you know, I'm super stoked uh I've had the opportunity to sit down with you guys today. It's been fun. I definitely hope to do it more. You know, and the same thing for you guys, man. Just let me know what I can do and I got you. Well, speaking of that, I think we have some ideas. Maybe we won't share them all now, but it's great to get back into this. We've been so incredibly busy, just as so many people listening are right now, but it's been great to get back in. We've wanted to have you on for a long time. And I'll just end with this. I'm a better leader because I've spent time with you. And I just want to say I'm grateful and appreciative of that. And I think everyone who's listening right now is going to walk away a better leader based on all the things that you've shared. So we're certainly in debt and just want to express our gratitude. And, and thanks again for being on, Steve. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.